text that I send out to the church, uh, telling them what the sermon's going to be about or something about the sermon. I wrote, I've heard many a humble believer disagree with Paul's statement that he, Paul, was the foremost of sinners. And by that I meant that many of us have said, no, Paul, we are the foremost of sinners. But like Paul, we can be thankful for God's grace through Christ, for salvation, growing in Christ, sanctification, and for service. So we are going to talk about grace upon the foremost sinner. And this sounds like a wonderful title. It would be a great evangelistic sermon, and I hope I certainly bring out the gospel. But you have to remember that it's still connected with the rest of 1 Timothy. And so what we're going to see is Paul still, I think, lingering in the idea about the correct instruction about the law. We've certainly learned about the law in the last several weeks. And now we're going to learn about grace. Not forgetting what the law does or how it's good, how it leads us to Christ, reveals our sin, maybe even has moral uh, instruction for us now as we think of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not worship. But it is grace and grace alone that saves, not grace plus works, grace plus the law. And we're really going to see that. Now, I think it's kind of indirect and subtle, but when you study the scriptures, you must understand that there is a logic through it. So even though you're talking about one topic and then all of a sudden, without warning, you're talking about another topic, it is related. We just have to understand that. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles again to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. And it reads this way. <clears throat> I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant, overflowing is the word, with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think of your word here in this section, there is so much to be said. There are so many things subjects in the Bible that are touched upon. We need to make sure that we touch upon the gospel in this sermon. 
but we also need to make sure that we touch upon the context of 1 Timothy chapter 1, which is also a context about false teachers who did not understand the law, or grace for that matter, correctly. So give us the right understanding of the law and grace, and grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone, for our salvation. And we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to take a look at a couple of things here. We are talking about the Apostle Paul who entitles himself as the foremost of all, foremost of sinners. He begins by saying that he was called into service, and this is what he's thanking the Lord for, that he was called in the ser- to service. This is not a moving away from what he was talking about. So let let me just show you what the thinking here is of Paul and the writing of Paul in 1 Timothy. So you remember it was about after his greeting, he began to talk to Timothy about false teachers. That's one of the reasons why he's sending the letter. In fact, that's why many of the New Testament letters were sent, is to correct the false teaching so that it doesn't come in the church, or if it is in the church, that it stops or it's removed from the church. And so... He's talking about this in verse 3, about the false teachers. He expands upon this, and they're teachers who are erroneous in teaching the law. He says they didn't know what they were talking about. And then he gives the correct understanding of the law. He says the law was good if you understand it and use it lawfully, to which we can determine from this section and also other places that the law was intended to reveal sin it was intended to reveal sin and by the way if you're talking to someone about the gospel wanting them to receive christ one of the difficulties is man does not like to admit that he's a sinner but that's what the law has has come to reveal And then the second aspect of the law is to point to Christ. If the law cannot save you, but all it did was reveal your sin and your condemnation under a holy God because of that sin, the only one who can save us is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it points to the gospel. And the gospel is in opposition to these false teachers who are saying, we would, we would surmise, we would surmise that they're in agreement with Judaizers, that you must believe in Christ, but you must be circumcised, or you must believe in Christ, and you must do certain things that the law says or works. And that is exactly opposite of what the scriptures teach. And so the gospel then is an even more correct understanding what the law was to do and its purpose leading you to Christ, leading you to the gospel, and now still talking about that gospel, he thanks God for calling him into service. He thanks God for grace. So if you understand the law, you better understand grace or you're never going to understand salvation. So he's talking now about grace, calling him into service. And he kind of gives a little bit more information about that grace. Well, what kind of grace was given? How much was grace given? Well, he begins in verse 13 that he was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, and a violent aggressor. 
and he received grace. He goes on to say that not only did he receive grace, but he received an overflowing, more than adequate grace. And isn't that good for us to hear that his grace is more than adequate to cover all of our sins? And then he makes that trustworthy statement. And don't you just love it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But then in his humility, he said, whom I am foremost of all. And he gives us a little bit of insight into why Christ may have saved him, called him as an apostle, and literally invaded his life to save him. And he talks about that he's become an example of the grace of Christ and the patience of Christ. But we're still really under the auspice, I believe, of the false teachers. And in, 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 a, in a great genius way, he is talking about grace. He is talking about the other side, which is about grace and salvation. And this, in a way, is what these false teachers need to know because they don't understand that. So let's talk, first of all, then, about that Paul was called into faithful service. Verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I want to stop there. So he gives thanks much the way that we would give thanks to the Lord for saving us. And, and um, you just can't seem to help it, but thank the Lord for saving you daily. But what's interesting about this word for thanks, it's not the usual word eucharisteo. It is the word charis, which is usually translated grace. So there is a word for thanks that's related to grace. It's the idea that you're thanking God for his grace. God's grace is his favor, or as the acronym G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so he's thankful that not only was he saved, He's thankful not only that he was taken out of a, the, the wrong perspective about the law. He's thankful that he was saved and saw the Lord Jesus Christ uh, had appeared to him on the road to Damascus and that he was called as an apostle and he's preaching this gospel, which, by the way, reading between the lines is not what these false teachers are doing. And he uses the word strengthen me and you, you get the sense that he's talking about grace here um, because it's by grace that he was put into service. When Paul talks about him being an apostle, that was his office and spiritual gifts and other things, that's the grace of God. And so that's the strengthening that I do believe that he's talking about. The word here is endunamao, uh, it means internal strength. We get the word dynamite from it. So it's, it's dynamic power for spiritual and moral empowerment. And he's thanking the Lord for this, for salvation for sure, and then also for service. But I just want to look at this word because it's a great word. Because if you don't get anything else out of this sermon, take this home. Because just as he is strengthened, that is the Apostle Paul. We are strengthened in these very things. So we see that Paul uses the same word 
when he was strengthened by God's grace in Paul's weaknesses. Do we ever struggle with weaknesses? I think we do. I think if we all be honest with each other, yeah, from time to time we see our inadequacies and struggle with our weaknesses. Well, what does he say about it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, My grace, this is the Lord speaking to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Power, dunamos, this strengthening is perfected in weakness. And like the Apostle Paul, and only like the Apostle Paul, he says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That's Paul, and that ought to be us, but the Lord strengthens him. The Lord also strengthened Paul in his disappointments. In the book of 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, toward the latter part of that book, he writes, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. There it is. The Lord strengthened me, gave me this, this uh, spiritual power through the Holy Spirit. Gave him this spiritual power that we could call grace or by grace. So that through me, the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. He was called as the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, he was also strengthened in all situations. And we talked about this yesterday in how to study the Bible. And be careful you don't take verses out of context. And one of the verses is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I shared that when I was in Bible college, we had a lot of the young athletes that would have these posters up. And there was a soccer player. And, and, and it said underneath, I can do all things through Christ. Now, Secondarily, I don't have a problem with that. But what's he really talking about? He's talking about all the different situations that he could go through, that he could do all things, whether in poverty or in provision. I could do all things. doesn't matter what happens to me. So here he writes, in the midst of that, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, who empowers me to do that, and so can we. And then finally, he uses the word here, in 1 Timothy verse 12 of chapter 1, that even in ministry, the Lord strengthens. He thanks the Lord for putting him in the ministry and then thanks him for the strength that he's giving him to do ministry. And can I just say, wow, what an application. And by the way, I agree with J. Vernon McGee, we're all in ministry, okay? We, if you're a Christian, you're saved, you've trusted Christ, you're in ministry. Wherever he has called you, whatever vocation, vocation he has placed you in, you it is about ministry. I don't know whether you want to know this or not, but uh, or I, I mean to say I don't know whether you know this or not. Uh, God has placed you exactly where he wants you. Yes, to provide for your family, no question. But I would say primarily for you to minister and share the gospel. Because in heaven, they're not going to talk about what your vocation was here. In heaven, they're going to talk about those that you were able to share the gospel with and came to Christ. That's what's going to matter. So he's given Paul strength in ministry, and he gives you strength for whatever ministry God has called you to. 
and they may be behind the scenes helping out, helping brothers in the Lord when they can't do these things and you're doing those. So we can apply this, but he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. And then he says, because he has considered me faithful, putting me into service. So he is talking about ministry and, and faithfulness. He could have even said, I, I, I thank the Lord for making me faithful and then considering me faithful, putting me into service because that faithfulness comes from the Lord as well. That's strengthening. Service is ministry. It's the Greek word diakonia. We get our English word deacon from it. It generally means serve, but it can also mean a specific task called by God. And it could be anything. In Paul's case, it was he was an apostle, a teacher in charge of the churches and now writing to a pastor to tell them, look, you, you can't let this kind of teaching go on. Not that Timothy was allowing it to go on. And so it was the idea that God had put him into this apostolic ministry. And by the way, that's the way God did it. It's not that we don't, we don't put ourselves into it. We don't, we don't come to Christianity and be self-proclaimed prophets, self-proclaimed apostles. If we did, we'd be putting ourselves equal with these men, and we're not. This is this position by the gift of God's grace that he has given to Paul. And, and I want to remind you, it's with this apostolic authority he's writing to Timothy to say Timothy these men have it wrong in regard to the law the law does not save but I'll tell you what does save and that is grace salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in him alone by the way Timothy he saved me made me an apostle and put me in the ministry and you Timothy are also called into that ministry so this is what he says but all of us are called into ministry if we're believers. J. Vernon McGee said, all believers are in the ministry. Not one of us is out of the ministry if he is a child of God. The word Paul uses here for ministry is the same word for deacon. And every believer is a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would be in one way or another. So, that's why Paul talked about this, thanking the Lord. Um, but you also see it's talking about grace, and it's also talking about the gospel, which is in opposition to these false teachers who say that you need to apply the law as well in order to be saved. But Paul's now going to continue on in this idea of grace. How much grace, Paul? Well, Paul was formerly a blasphemer, to say the least. He was formerly a blasphemer. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the Apostle Paul. We're going to talk a little bit about how much of a violent aggressor was he. And then we're going to talk about the grace and salvation. And Timothy knows all of this. And someone might say, well, why didn't he write all of this in detail? Uh, after 20 years, I think Timothy knows all of this about Paul. And yet he's writing it. And you say, well, why is he writing it? Because it's still connected with the context of these false teachers. And so he says in verse 13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, three things here, two, a persecutor, and three, a violent aggressor. 
yet I was shown mercy. And I'm going to stop there. We'll pick it up, but I want to stop there. So what does it mean that he's a blasphemer? Certainly he wouldn't have considered himself a blasphemer when he was growing up in Judaism, when he was much greater than many of his contemporaries. He wouldn't have considered himself a blasphemer, but he was. Well, what makes him a blasphemer? And by the way, blasphemer is to speak against, and in this context, speak against God. Well, he would say, well, I wasn't speaking against God. Paul, yes, you were, because you were speaking against Christ, who is God the Son. You were speaking about God's salvation through Christ. You were speaking against those things, and that's speaking against God, and that's what makes you a blasphemer. And by the way, he said it. He's admitting it, that he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor going from home to home, ravaging, arresting, imprisoning, beckoning them to recant. We'll we'll look at some of this in detail. And he did so violently. Some of them he even put to death. Well, let's just look at his former life for just a moment. And not so much his belief system at this point, but his actions. What, What does it mean that he was a violent aggressor? Well, the first thing that we have here is that, if you remember, he was present during Stephen's stoning. And of course, his name then was Saul. And he was in hearty agreement to Stephen being stoned. So he was already involved in this. I don't know how much involved, but he eventually became very involved. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, it said, when they had driven him out of the city, that's Stephen, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then verse 1 says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And Paul became a part of it. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Well, we find out that he got involved in this movement, this hostile movement, this movement that he thought was religious but was actually a blaspheme, and he was a persecutor, and he was hostile. He was hostile to the name of Christ. He didn't like Christ. He didn't like that. He didn't believe that. And so he blasphemed Christ. And it says in Acts chapter 26, by the way, if you were to look at some of the scriptures, you can find pieces in the book of Acts where he'll talk about it again and again and again. One gets the sense that not only was it the truth, but there was a sense of remorse now as a believer for the great persecution that he caused. And in Acts 26, 9, he says, so then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was hostile to the followers of Christ, was he not? Verse 3 of chapter 8 of Acts, it says, And Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women 
and he would put them in prison. You just can't help not thinking about what's going on over in Israel and what has gone on over in Israel. And yet there was a sense in which Paul was doing the very same thing, ravaging, going in and getting them, dragging them off, putting them in prison. And then to be hostile towards the disciples was to be hostile towards Christ because when he does come to Christ on the road to Damascus, says, I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. So he was persecuting Christ, in essence, blaspheming Christ. But you know what else he did? He tried to get believers to recant. It says in Acts 26, 11, and I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. Now, what does that mean? I tried to get them to say that they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or that they don't believe that he's the Messiah. They don't believe that he's the son of God. They don't believe that he died on the cross for our sins, that we can have salvation. That's what he tried to get them to Deny, to deny Christ. I tried to force them. If you say you don't believe, I will let you go. And I dare say we probably would, would surmise that many, if not all, did not recant. Stephen certainly didn't. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. You can run, but you can't hide. And he was even responsible for some deaths. That's what he said in Acts 26.10. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And what you love about this is in all of this in verse 13. You know, you can even, I think, sense it in his writings. He didn't just say, you know, I used to persecute the church. It was, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. You know what he's doing here? He's talking about his previous life under the law and all that he did, and it was revealed to him that he sinned, and he came to Christ, and he was shown mercy in Christ. I believe that when he talks about this mercy, I believe it is something that Paul really struggled with. And you can imagine that he would persecute the church, that he would persecute Christ. And yet Christ still saved him. That's the message of grace. That's the message of the gospel. That's what needs to be taught. That's what these false teachers need to understand. Law just showed you you were a sinner. The law just showed you you needed Christ. It's grace by faith that you need. That's what's in opposition. Now, I'm going to add just a little bit more here because he wasn't just someone who kept the law. He was... He was very aggressive. He was a shaker and a mover. And we read that in Galatians and we read that in Philippians. And he's certainly not bragging. This is what I was. This is in shame. But because there are those who think that by 
being involved in the law and having the law and obeying the law and keeping the law, you are a somebody, and a somebody is somebody who's saved. Not according to Paul anymore. And, and you know, I love the fact that he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Not that he didn't preach to the Jews, too. Because if there's anyone who was going to figure it out for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and tell us, you know, how the law fits together and then how it's replaced by grace, it's the Apostle Paul. And he has his own object lesson himself to show. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries. He was at the head of the class. And among my countrymen, being more zealous, no, more extremely zealous. He was a zealot for Judaism. More extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. And in the book of Philippians, he talks about, do you want to have confidence in the law? I don't have confidence in the law, he says. If anyone could have confidence in the law, it could be me. But I don't have confidence in the law. So we're still reflecting here between law and grace. He says, although, Philippians 3, 4 through 6, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. You, you want to compete? Circumcised the eighth day. Well, that's, that's the beginning of it. And so it also suggests that he was raised in a Jewish home, a Jewish home that was following the law in Judaism. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. Of course you were. Meaning he wasn't a Gentile who became a proselyte to serve God. He's from the nation of Israel. Oh, and from the tribe of Benjamin. Not from those other tribes in the northern kingdom who refused to worship in Jerusalem that were studying in the book of Kings. He was in the tribe of Benjamin that stayed loyal in the southern kingdom and used to worship at the temple. That's the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, as to the law, huh, you think you're better? I was a Pharisee, which they would have been, Pharisees would have been not so much involved in politics as they would have the study and interpretation of the Old Testament, of the Old Testament law. As to zeal, you think you have more zeal? I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, not the righteousness which comes by faith in Christ Jesus, the only one that saves, I was righteous in the law. I was found blameless. Timothy knows all of this, and so all of this, I believe, didn't have to be expressed, but it really goes in context with these false teachers. You want to talk about the law? I'll tell you about the law. You want to see if there's anything in the law? There's nothing in the law. Because Paul got saved. Paul came to Christ. Paul came to Christ on the road to Damascus when he was pursuing disciples to 
persecute them, to be violently aggressive toward them, to imprison them, maybe even kill them. We find in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, that he asked for letters, that he could go to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was the name of Christianity in the early church, the way, why? Because the way is not the law. The way is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's called the way. Both men and women, doesn't matter. With child or without child, doesn't matter. He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Various other verses talk about this. Chapter 26 of Acts, verse 12. While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, and then he goes into his salvation. By the way, he talks about this salvation on the road to Damascus three times in the book of Acts. <clears throat> One time it was by Luke telling the event of it. The other two times, it was the Apostle Paul standing before a court. This was his argument of acquittal, how he got saved. So imagine if you, God forbid, are ever in the court and you have to defend yourself. I wonder if we would just stand up. Well, I, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, years ago, I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wasn't so good. And on and on you share your testimony. But that's what he did. So, so these are before some of these leaders. And, and this is where we get some of this information. So three times he talks about this great salvation. It was when pursuing the disciples on the road to Damascus. Turn to Acts chapter 9 verse 3 with me. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, as he was traveling, it happened that when he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So he met Christ on the road to Damascus. Now, we see that it's a light. So if we say Christ appeared to him, we may struggle with the fact that it was a light. Well, what if it was the glory of Christ and he saw the glory of Christ? It was Christ. But furthermore, there are things in Scripture that says, Paul says he appeared to me. In 1 Corinthians 15, 8, talking about Christ appeared to the disciples and then to Paul, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. And then in giving him instructions, the Lord Jesus Christ tells him, get up. This is on the road to Damascus telling him, get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you. I have appeared to you. So what the Lord says, I'm not going to argue with it. To appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. 
however you look at it, he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and was saved. And it was at that point that he turned away from the law. He realized all of those Christians who he tried to get to recant, but they wouldn't recant about Christ, and they wouldn't recant about salvation that was through Christ and Christ alone. The way was right. He knew the gospel, being on the other side of the gospel, and he turned away from the law to come to Christ. There in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, right after he gets done saying, I was circumcised on the eighth day from the nation of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, of the nation of Israel, Benjamin tribe, all of that, a Pharisee. Verse 7, he says, but, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, trying to live up to the law so that you could be saved, trying to do works, good works, to be saved, doesn't work. Paul is the prime example. He says, I counted all loss for the sake of Christ. It's by faith in Christ, not faith plus works or works by themselves. He says, more than that, tell us, Paul, preach it, Paul. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, scubala, so that I may gain Christ. They mean nothing to me as far as salvation goes. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Hallelujah. That is doctrine. That is the doctrine of salvation. That is the doctrine of justification by faith. And it's everywhere in scripture. And that's what we must be about. Paul was given grace to go out and teach this. And in a subtle way, he's talking to Timothy who already knows these things. But it's in contrast to what these false teachers were saying and teaching. And we too must be strengthened to talk. To, to say this. This is really our ministry. And it really is a ministry to show people that it's not by works that you're saved because that's what everybody believes unless they've come to Christ. They believe in one way or other it's works and we've got to show them that it's wrong. And you know what? It's not just good enough to say, well, I disagree. You have to open up the Bible and you have to show them from the scriptures. And when they say, I don't believe in the Bible, you just won by default. They didn't win. Shame on them that they didn't believe. Shame on them that they haven't taken time to look at the scriptures to see what the scriptures say about scripture, that it's God's word. I'm sorry. And I don't mean that in any derogatory way like we're trying to beat them or we're competing with them. But don't let it bother you when they say, oh, I don't believe in the scriptures. Wow. What do you believe in? What is your source of authority? The news channels, culture, social media, Google, and Siri, who can't even speak right when you're sending a text using Google speech and Siri speech. That's why if you get something that's a little funny for me, it's, it's not me, it was Siri. 
He left all of that working for the law, for salvation, counted as rubbish to come to Christ. That is exactly the point he's trying to make with these false teachers. Now, is the law then no good to us? No, he got done saying the law is good if you use it lawfully. And of course, we've gone through that so many times now that I believe even you could get up and stand and preach that, and I would encourage you to do that. But one other thing here, too, he was not only called and saved, but he was called as an apostle in his apostolic ministry there. He was called to preach to the Jews and preach to the Gentiles. And, of course, we find out in certain passages that just like Peter was called to the circumcised, Paul was called to the uncircumcised, meaning the Gentiles. Now, looking here now at verse 13, which I know we've been spending a lot of time in, but there's so much. Let's deal with that last phrase. Yet I was shown mercy, and we just saw that mercy. Even though he was a blasphemer, even though he was persecuting the church, he said, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. Paul is not saying here that he didn't sin. Paul is not saying here that he wasn't a sinner. Paul is not trying to have an excuse here. But the truth of it is, he is, I believe, I believe contrasting himself to these false teachers. Paul really did not subscribe to the gospel. These false teachers do. That's what makes them false teachers. If they don't subscribe to the gospel, you don't let them in and teach. They're erroneous, maybe the cult, a cult. They don't believe in the gospel. They have no business in a church teaching. They knew about the gospel in the church. Paul knew about it from afar. He didn't believe it. He was a zealous Pharisee. And so it was a little different that one knows but still rejects it or goes astray from it or one defiantly goes astray from it. Now, if Paul, after he got saved, if he went back into Judaism, then, then we would see that he was defiant. John MacArthur writes, he was no hardened apostate, rejecting the full light of God's revelation. He was not like the Pharisees who understood Christ's teaching and power but rejected him. It was this gospel of grace. And these false teachers knew the gospel. Galatians 1, if anyone else teaches you any other gospel than the one that I gave you, let them be anathema. Now, there is one other thing, too, that, that is sometimes brought up in this passage and that is the idea, there, there is a passage of scripture that talks about when a sin that is done intentionally. Okay, first of all, it's still sin, okay? We're not saying you get away with it, okay? But there is a different classification, even in the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 15, verse 28, it says, The priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally. He's still making atonement because it's still sin, okay? Making atonement for him that he may be forgiven. And it very well could be Paul is alluding to this. 
You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is a native among the sons of Israel, and for the alien who sojourns among them. Okay, if it's done unintentionally, it's done unintentionally. It's sin. You need an atonement, but you won't die over it. But the person who does anything defiantly, whether he's a native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord. There's that word again. And I wonder if that's what Paul had his devotions in that morning. In Numbers chapter 15, and he's like, yeah, this is exactly right. And the Holy Spirit is bringing it to the forefront in his writing. But the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is a native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. Now, just in case you don't know, cut off from among the people doesn't mean you got to go live 50 miles outside of Gillette. It means you're going to die. That's what it means to be cut off. Look, look at the usage of that word in the Old Testament. Because he has despised the word of the Lord. So there's a despising. If you know the law, you know the word, and you defiantly aren't going to do it, and it also, I think, just to bring it practical, you know, we often talk about, well, this person professed to be a believer. And yet we still saw sin in their life. Yes. And if they were remorseful and they struggled with it and they, they, real, they were, didn't have peace about it, that's one thing. But if they just didn't care and sinned any way they wanted and defied the word of God and defied God, we would say, you know what? There needs to be some introspection as to whether this person is a believer or not. He has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. So if we can wrap our heads around what Paul may mean, it's not that he's trying to make an excuse for his sin, but he's saying, look, I, I, you know, I didn't know the gospel. I didn't know the gospel in my heart or my mind, or I knew it in my mind, but I didn't know it in my heart. And so he said, he had mercy on me. And then verse 14, and I'm going to move rather quickly. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. He's going to say, this former blasphemer received grace, and not just grace. When it says that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, that would, be, that would also be an argument for his deity. Where does grace come from? But only God. So if it comes also from the Lord Jesus Christ, it would show his deity, the second person of the Trinity. But it was more than abundant. It means overflowing. It means it met every need there was and then some. Paul, his heart was right. He knows what he did. He knows that he didn't deserve forgiveness, but he was saved. And by the way, that ought to be our viewpoint as well. We may say, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't do that many bad things. Yes, that's probably true, but you do know that you were a sinner. You do know about total depravity, that you have the sin nature and you could do anything that was sin and bad and evil. You know that, right? And you know that because you were a sinner and God is holy, you don't automatically go into heaven because you're, you, you were raised in a Christian home. 
You know that, right? It is the idea that as you grow in the Lord and you see our sinfulness more and more, what does that mean? Well, that means when it says that, I, that you are to love one another as Christ loved you, the bar is limitless. You will never, I will never attain that, but I am to pursue that. And the more you go on in your Christian life, you, you do say that wasn't loving. I could have been more loving there. Your wife tells you you could have been more loving there. All of those things. There's some kind of connection between the Holy Spirit and your wife, okay? I just... If you don't, if you don't hear him, then, then you should hear her. All right. But it, it, it's the idea then that we, it doesn't matter where you're coming from. In your Christian life, you should be thankful. You should say, I didn't deserve heaven. I'm not better than the Hamas. I'm not. I'm a sinner destined for hell unless I come to Christ under the wrath of God. So what does it mean? So maybe, maybe one's in hell and they say, well, I was never Hamas, but you're still in hell and you're still being punished eternally for your sin against a holy God. But he saved you. And we all ought to have this thanksgiving about his abundant, overflowing grace, and which, which is going to say, it doesn't matter how much sin, it doesn't matter who you are, you can be saved. And he's going to say, it is a trustworthy saying, and he says this several times, coming from an, uh, an authoritative apostle, it's absolutely true. It's in the word of God. It deserves full acceptance and embracing and we do, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we ought to have that. And no matter how much sin we are or were involved in, grace is far greater. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He mentions faith and love uh, the faith there would, would be the initial faith in salvation. And you know what? I believe that he even gives us that faith. We're dead in trespasses and sin. We believe in nothing in regard to God and salvation. But I believe he opens our eyes. He calls us. He, he intervenes in our lives. I think he even invades our lives. Some people say, well, he, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He'll never do that. He did that with Paul. And I'm so glad. And Paul was very thankful that he did that with Paul. And I believe because we are dead spiritually in our trespasses and sins that we're not alive spiritually. Well, how do you become alive? He works in your heart. He shows you these things. You see them as true and believe them and you trust Christ and you are saved. You understand then grace, not law, grace, that the love of God has sent Christ to die for our sin. You know, we're, we're singing these praise songs and talking about we, we didn't deserve salvation. And I'm thinking of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in our day and age, you do something to us, we're going to retaliate and get you back. When we do something to the Lord Jesus Christ, like say, mm, I don't know, crucify him. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And still, he sheds his grace on us. That is love, beloved. And that's the love he says to you and me, love one another, not as 
as, you, as, as a good neighbor, love one another as I, the Lord Jesus Christ, love you. Wow. Help us, Lord. Help us with that. And so then verse 15 he not only says the trustworthy statement, deserving of all acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, but he says, among whom I am foremost of all. You think Paul was just writing this for effect? You think it was for drama? No. He believed it. He believed it. And I think every one of us can believe it about ourselves. You know what? I know more about my sin than I know about your sin. Now, maybe sometime we're talking and you share some things and we pray together and, you know, you're, you're doing better. Well, that's only a drop in the bucket to what I know about me. I know about my every thought. I know about my every sarcasm that never comes out of this mouth. I know about my every attitude that I try not to do. I try to cover it up, not in a bad sense, but I try to keep, I try not to have one. But I know it, and I confess it, and I'm sure you do too. So that's why many a humble believer says, Paul, this is the one statement I disagree. You're not the foremost of sinners. I am. I remember Lou said that not too long ago as he was teaching. It's the humility of knowing sin, but I'll tell you what else it's about. With Paul, I think the idea that he persecuted the church never left him. He was saved. He received mercy, but he still grieved over it. That's what I think is the main thing. I mean, look how much he talks about it. He talked about it here. He talked about it in the other epistles. He says, where I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul, you need to get over this. <laughs> not really. Not really. I mean, I think he would have been the first one to say it. This is something I need to get over. I will. I know I'm forgiven for it, but I, I, I hate myself for it, so to speak. I hate this sin. I was persecuting and blaspheming Christ by persecuting the church. Hence, Paul writes dramatic things like, now I rejoice in my sufferings. What? For your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Oh, that I may know him. And the power, oh, I love this verse, the power of his resurrection. Resurrection power to live the Christian life through the Holy Spirit and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul, can't you, can't you give it up? No, no, he can't. And I think this is one of the reasons what motivates him. This is one of the, it is the love of Christ, no question. It is the mercy of Christ and to tell others. And what an example he is. What an example he is. And this testimony goes directly against what those false teachers are teaching. And by the way, this is the third of three comments he made in regards to his status. The first status was the one that I read a moment ago. For I am the least of the apostles. 
Okay, so he's pretty humble. That's like saying, I am the least of the elders. That's pretty good. But what about the rest of the people? He says, I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. And yet he was and he, and he acted out. Then you go to Ephesians. And in Ephesians, you remember what he said there? Oh, oh, we're, we, let's talk about the congregation. I am the least of all the saints. Least of the apostles, least of the saints. He says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And now here, he, he goes for broke. He says, among whom I am the foremost of sinners. But the message of this sermon, even though it's dealing with these false teachers, is grace upon the foremost sinner. And it had nothing to do with the law except that the law showed him that he was a sinner. And Christ appeared to him and invaded his life, and he came to Christ, and he is so thankful. And he, he adds one other, verse 16. He says, yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Timothy, when you're sharing the gospel, and the influence of these false teachers are out there. You talk about me. Talk about what I was. Talk about how I gave it all up. Talk about the grace that God has given to me. You remember when he first came to know the Lord? They didn't really want him in church. They, that, no. Don't, Lord, Lord, don't you know he's a persecutor of the church? Well, of course the Lord knows that. It was for the patience and the love of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just quickly, just to try to apply some of these things, and I think we've touched on them. First of all, the gospel of grace. This gospel is a gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of the law. The law might lead you to grace, but law is not grace. There is a difference when it comes to salvation. And so when we talk to people, we need to explain this. And sometimes even the law, because they may think, well, I have to try to be good. And usually they say, well, I hope I'm good enough. That's, that's I don't know how many words that is, but it's like the most deadliest words you could say. I hope I'm good enough. Hope? Well, you can have full assurance and eternal security in the gospel. Good enough? Well, you, you, just, you just canceled yourself right there. So... We need to know about these things. We need to know about these things. In this day and age, when people talk about works, we need to be able to explain law, that it's good when it's used lawfully, but lead them to Christ and to grace. And of course, it's grace in salvation. It's grace in growth, which is sanctification. And it's grace in ministry, getting involved. I can't do that. Well, you're right, but he can. And you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can even play soccer. Just kidding. This is the grace of the gospel. There's grace in this. And as I said, it's grace for salvation, but it's not just that. What about the grace when you see your weaknesses, your difficulties, your besetting sins? Is his grace strong enough? Absolutely. What about your disappointments? And they can be many. 
Is his grace strong enough? Absolutely. It's overflowing. It's more than enough. And you would never know it sometimes the way we act, right? You would never know his grace is more than we need. That's not enough. It's not enough. You just don't know what I'm going through. All of our situations and even our ministry, it's the grace of the gospel. And then finally, it's grace to the humble. It says in the scriptures, God gives grace to the humble, but he rejects the proud. And I think our humility goes in this vein when we understand that we're the foremost of sinners, not Paul, so to speak. And it was by the grace of God that he saved us, whether we were raised in a Christian home or not. That even the faith that we have, that we believe, I believe it's God who has given us that faith. And I know my sins more than I know anybody else's sins, and I, I know he saved this sinner. And when we sing these songs and the praise songs, and it talks about our sins are forgiven, he took our sins on the cross, you know what? It's hard to keep back the tears because it's true. And that's humility, and that's the humility that we have. So I've heard many a humble believer disagree with Paul's statement that he was the foremost of sinners. But like Paul, we can be thankful for God's grace through Christ's death on the cross for salvation, sanctification, and service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for the book of 1 Timothy. Thank you that it straightens us out to understand correct doctrine, true doctrine, not false doctrine, but the doctrine of grace. And thank you, Lord, that it also straightens us out in the humility that we ought to have. And when we share the gospel with that humility, even the worst sinner in the world should be able to pick that up, should be able to come to Christ from our example, just like Paul's. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.